I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design, with a conversation about transformation, both in interior spaces and individuals themselves. Megan Basinger of Stevie Interiors spent the first part of her career in public relations before launching her firm in 2020. <laughs> Great timing, right? But it worked, and here's why. <laughs> So yeah, Megan launched Stevie Interiors in the summer of 2020. Do you remember the summer of 2020? I do. Not the best time to launch a new design business. Or was it? You're going to hear all about that. The good and the bad. Pay close attention to the ideas that embody this concept of blazing your own trail, making your own path, and rushing towards something as everyone else is running away. The early months following the beginning of the pandemic, many designers thought they were gonna go out of business. Then came this tidal wave, this design revolution, as everyone realized simultaneously that their home was dysfunctional and needed the services of professional designers to fix it. And that's what Megan saw. And you're going to hear all about it. So I'm going to let Megan take it from here. Enjoy this episode of Convo by Design featuring Milton, Georgia designer Megan Basinger of Stevie Interiors. I am incredibly proud of Convo by Design in year 10, and I'm equally proud of my partnership with Thermosol. They've been presenting partners of Convo by Design for three years now, and there is a certain amount of pride that comes with saying that the show is presented by the company that is the best in the world at what they do. Thermosol engineers the most exceptional smart shower products and steam shower systems worldwide for a few reasons. They were the first company to design patent the technology here in the U.S. dating back to 1958. Thermosol, a U.S. brand, a U.S. manufacturer in Round Rock, Texas, employs an engineering team that designs, tests, and continuously refines the product. Their quality control team tests every single steam generator before it departs the factory. Who else does that? Nobody. I have had the pleasure of working with some world-class designers and architects who tell me, and you probably know this, that the idea of luxury has changed and continues to change, especially when clients want a spa-like bathroom. Steam is mandatory. Or it's just not considered a, a, a luxury space. And if you want to add steam, you have one true option. It's Thermosol. And now, Thermosol, the industry leader in steam, bath equipment, and technology since 1958, is enhancing their already stellar family of products with new indoor and outdoor luxury saunas. Available in three design configurations, each sauna is handcrafted from clear western red cedar or Nordic spruce inspired by the brilliance of Northern European sauna technology and design. A luxury bathroom isn't luxury without steam. If you want luxury, you have one option. It's Thermosol. Check them out at thermosol.com and at thermosol on the socials. So, and by the way, I totally forgot to ask you, what part of the country are you in right now? Atlanta. So north you're... of Atlanta, for about 45 minutes north of the city. Okay, so you're OTP. Yes, you know what that means. You know, it's funny. I have learned so much about our country <laughs> by interviewing designers. This is really, you and I were, were sort of chatting for a minute before I hit record. And it's really interesting to me. Prior to the pandemic, um, the number of interviews that I had done virtually was non-existent, one hand. Right. Everything, was in, everything was in person and I focused mainly on Southern California. So since the pandemic, I've, I've just been talking to people all across the country and I have learned so much. Atlanta is one of those really interesting cities, very much unlike my hometown of Los Angeles. You know, I'm, an, I'm a native Angelino where you have basically like 41, 43 cities just jammed together. Yeah. Atlanta is really interesting because you're either... ITP, which is inside the perimeter, or OTP, which is outside the perimeter. And it's a, it's a very different feel. It's a different vibe, isn't it? It is. So when we moved down, when I moved down here from, um, I lived in Manhattan before I moved to Atlanta and I was like, I'll never live outside the perimeter. It was just like gross. I don't even put that in my, you know, thought. Uh, but here I am 
been up here for six years. And every time I go into the city, I just call whoever I know that still lives there. And I'm like, how do you live here? The roads are getting more narrow. So yeah, here I am. OTP. <laughs> it, it's a lifestyle thing. It is. You know, we've got three young kids and it was just easier, um, you know, a yard, that whole thing. So all the things that your parents tell you, you'll eventually crack for. It happens. <laughs> yeah, it's it's that old city or the burbs kind of kind of question. And for me, you know, as a native Angelino, the difference is, you know, I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, which was amazing. And then later moved to the beach where everything just got got smaller and tighter and more compact and compressed. And you live differently because of it, which brings us to our, our conversation today. So tell me something. I, I love, I'm a sucker for a good origin story. Why, why design? How did you wind up here? Let's, let's talk about your, your influencer and your blogger days and how that's affected your design and sort of how the two go together. Because I feel like, you know, I, I don't feel like this. I know this design is storytelling. Architecture is storytelling. And for you to have those two elements combined, it, it seems like it would be pretty helpful. Yeah. So, and it really starts before my blogger days. So I was a publicist. I was in PR. I was a writer by trade, mm. uh, working at agencies and then in corporate communications at Home Depot, where I was an executive speechwriter. And then uh, our first was born. She's almost eight. And I knew I couldn't go back into crisis communications where it was just around the clock. And so I was like, I'll be a stay-at-home mom. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. This is what I'm meant to do. And it lasted like three months. Um, and then I started, I started actually, uh, I worked on a podcast. Uh, when I left Home Depot, it was around the same time Frank Blake, who was the CEO of Home Depot, retired. And as well as... Uh, Brad Shaw, who was kind of his right-hand man in communications. And they both retired and started a podcast together. And I was the project manager on the podcast. So I did that. I also worked with a company called Project Nursery, running their shop online, and then some freelance writing. And I did all of this at home with a, you know, a baby crawling around. And then that turned into, it was, it was really when blogging and Instagram took off. Um, and so I started blogging really about motherhood, um, which is so unoriginal now because there's like a million bloggers doing that. Um, and then that transitioned into design when we had, you know, we went from a condo to our first real home. Um, but I have no formal training in design. I am now enrolled in online classes at Parsons, but until now, um, I'm just self-taught. My mom has an interior design degree, which I wish I could just take from her, just put it in my corner. Um, but yeah, so it was really writing. And that's why I really, when you said storytelling, it kind of stuck out at me. Um, writing is what got me into blogging, which then turned into design. So and, you know, tell me to, to stop talking at any moment, but with the, um, when it, when my blog became more design versus motherhood, it was, it was a lot of fun for a while. And then I realized, you know, okay, it wasn't, it was a job. It wasn't my family's primary source of income, but I was paying a babysitter to work on it. And so I needed to take certain jobs within the blogging world that made money. And so I was working with brands who were paying me but maybe I was putting things in my home that I otherwise wouldn't really want in my home. Um, and so it got to the point where I was like, why am I doing this for other brands? Why don't I just do this for myself? Uh, and that's when I started uh, what was called Stevie Collective, just an online store of sourcing home good items. And it really just like snowballed and snowballed and snowballed into more of a design studio. So it feels like when I look back, I feel like I've lived like a million different lives, but they are all really connected. <laughs> so walk me through this for a minute, because I, I'm I, I really am fascinated <laughs> by this. And, and it's funny because we have we have a lot of similarities, you know, I saw that with, when I read about you. <laughs> with you and sort of your podcasting. What year was that? Uh, OK, when when was Bauer born? Um, Twenty. When was she born? 2015? 2015. Okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> okay. So it's funny. I started Convo by Design in 2013. So it's, you know, it's been 10 years. And when I started the show, and, and this is what's really interesting when it comes to podcasts. So you were there at the very beginning. And at the time, I think I was at Playboy at the time too. I built the, the radio division, the podcast division for them. And this is at, like at the very beginning not the beginning of podcasting, but the, the really the, the beginning of the increase in popularity for it. When I would call designers and say, hey, I'd love for you to be on the podcast. And they're like, oh, yeah, absolutely. That's great. Hey, what's a podcast? Um, <laughs> so it was super easy. So I, I, got, I got in, you know, I was talking to publicists and it was so, it was simple. It's like, I, we're just going to chat. We're just going to have this conversation. And I learned over the years that storytelling, mm publicity, promotion, the work itself, there's a difference between doing good work and having that good work promoted and then turned into a business. Mm -hmm. And so you've run through all of these different facets, all of these, these verticals to get to where you are right now. And a couple of things that I, I kind of wanted to drill down on, one of which is you were already a successful designer why go back and get the degree? What, is, what does that mean to you? And then as far as the work itself, what was the difference for you between that process of going through as a blogger, as a stylist, right? Because that's really, you were, you were a journalistic stylist. Right. Putting things in and then saying, you know, this is not what I want. This is not what I want to live with. I have a different aesthetic. I have a different taste. And clients, I want clients to see what I do so that I can be an authentic designer. Take me through that process, because I think that that takes us to where you are today. Yeah. So I'll start with the the first part of that question, why I go back to school now? And for me, candidly, I, I feel like that's the one piece of confidence that I was missing, even though I have never had a client ask me about my interior design degree. <laughs> so, so really any sort of, um, you know, sensitivities that I, that I have, they're just, they're just my own. Um, but I, you know, people invest a lot of money in, in hiring our team, hiring me specifically. And so I want to do everything that I can beyond going to high point and, you know, learning everything I can about our vendors, but also just that extra investment of going back to school, you know, for me, it's, um, the I think back to when I was in you know high school and my very creative older sister she I was doing the writing for the projects and she was doing the drawing and then we would switch and you know she would do my drawing and I would do her writing we'd go back and forth so I didn't I, hand sketching to me wasn't even a skill that I naturally had so learning this going back to school has been super helpful just to be on the job site because I have very I I, I think the one thing that I've really narrowed in on is vision for our aesthetic and put it, being able to put that down on paper. Um, Cause sometimes my ideas can sound a little crazy, but being able to sketch that out to show a client or even show one of my other designers has been really helpful. So um, you know that, but I think overall it's really, it's the confidence piece of having some sort of formal education. Um, and then when I think back to that second part of the question, you know, um, and if you want to help me narrow in on some of it, I feel like it's a big one. You know, it, it, you nailed it with styling. When I was blogging, I was really, you know, whether it was Pottery Barn or Wayfair or, you know, whatever the brand was sending me these pieces, which I look back on it and so many of it was like seasonal styling. So it's like Valentine's Day, Easter, which I don't do. That's just not my thing. You know, you can walk into my studio and my store over December and there's no, there's no Christmas decorations. I love Christmas, but I'm just more of like a big picture everyday life designer. And so I'm sitting here styling these tablescapes telling my followers that they should spend money on this too. And it, it just felt really, it was just not authentic. Um, and I think, you know, if you look back and you um, read some of the things that I wrote when I was blogging, I've always been very authentic at, with sharing uh, motherhood and not just the good, but the bad. Um, and, and so for me, it was, 
it just, it didn't sit well with me. And then, so here I am styling these things and being like, "Uh, yeah, you know, go out and get it. And then I can't wait to like get it into the trash because it's not actually staying in my home. And so now, you know, when I think about um, our clients, I'm looking across, I'm sitting in our home office and I'm looking across into our sitting room and, um, you know, the light that I have in the sitting room across me right now, I've used in several client projects because I'm, I love this light. It is in my home. I love it three years later after installing it in my home. And I can look at them and genuinely tell them that what I'm recommending, not only do I love it, but I love it so much. I have it and I still have it. So, um, I think just that freedom has been the best part about going out on my own to really only take on pieces that I truly, truly love and feel good about my stamp on. And I take it so much more seriously because it's my name on everything. So take me from there to one of the things that I've noticed lately. It's really interesting. We've gone like this huge wave back and forth between this one element of a designer's world and a designer's life. And that is sampling samples and um, product research. And Mm -hmm. it's really interesting because for years I did this gathering and I still do um, designer influencer groups where it's small gathering, small format, five to 10 designers, architects, product designers, manufacturers. And we get into a room and we just sort of chop it up over 90 minutes. And it's really interesting. And we take on one topic at a time. A couple of times we've talked about this. Do you bring in samples? Mm-hmm. How do you research new new products, new new partners? And I think during during the past three years, between the need to travel outside more, uh, product in avail- uh, you know unavailability, um, material costs going through the roof. Designers have had this d- this need to find new partners immediately. Mm-hmm. But if you can't get samples in, how do you how do you check the quality? You don't necessarily want samples in because many are working out of home offices, and you don't right. want to put this stuff all over the place. Right. How do you? It's not like you can walk down to the Home Depot. And just go grab a, a tile sample and bring it to your client. So how how do you manage this? How do you find new partners? How do you decide what does fit your aesthetic and what you want to put in your store? Yeah. So I think um, you know, to your point, clients really have to trust us because even though we do have a studio, it's a two thousand square foot studio. I mean, we're not. We don't have five different sofas that you can come in and sit on. So right now, for example, for upholstery, we really source from two main vendors, both of which I have in my home. Um, And we originally found them by going to High Point. You know, we're a small team that's essentially still a startup. And the one thing that I'm really proud of is we go to High Point once a year and we go to Atlanta Market every time there's an Atlanta Market. We're very lucky that we're right here in Atlanta and can do that. But when we go to High Point, We close down our studio, we close down our shop, and I take my whole team. So I don't care if you are a design assistant or if you're the head of design. Everybody's coming. Everybody's sitting on all of the things, meeting all of the vendors. Um, I think it's it's really important uh, to have that experience. Um, And it's something that I'm really proud of that we all go and, you know, I've had um, vendors pull me aside and be like, oh, here comes Stevie Interiors. It's just like the, you know, parade of people coming down the hallway. But um, you know, it's really important to go there and to see things and to sit on things. Uh, and I won't, I, I won't source a $10,000 sofa unless I've had it in my house. And God bless my husband, because that means that there is a lot of turnover in this house. Um, but I want to know, you know, the, the drapes that you see behind me, it's, it's the fabric that we use pretty much for every client now that wants that neutral warm. It's, it's it's in my home. I love it. I know it photographs well. I, I test everything. I even test, you know, any contractor that we pull into a project, I have them work in my home first. Um, 
which again means a lot of projects are going on here at all times. And I have a very patient husband and my children are literally like, mom, please stop changing things. But I think of it as an investment in our business and an investment in our clients. Um, And then to your second part of that question about how do we choose what is in line with our aesthetic, being in the Southeast and being in Atlanta, we have an opportunity to really set ourselves apart. Uh, if you go into the, you know, ITP into Buckhead, you see that old style style more often than not with designers at a certain price point. Um, and naturally, just for me, I'm a Navy brat. So I am not this born and bred Southern girl. So I don't gravitate towards that style naturally, but it's given us an opportunity to really have a different aesthetic than most of our competition here locally. Um, and it's really fun because people have called that out, especially recently. You know, I was looking at a bunch of designers in the area and you just, you know, you're, you just stand out as being different or, um, you know, oh, I love the, the warmth and the texture and the moodiness of your designs. And for a while, we really were getting most of our clients up here in I'm in Milton, um, OTP. And now m- half of our clients are in Buckhead, which is really exciting because they were like, yeah, I didn't know there was a designer that did your style in Buckhead. And I'm like, well, I got to drive 45 minutes to get to you, but I'm here. <laughs> so I think there's an opportunity to kind of have a different offering than a lot of the other designers in the area. And I keep that in mind when I'm at market and when we're sourcing. You are listening to my conversation with Megan Basinger of Stevie Interiors. We'll be right back. We are living in a time of incredible growth, both technologically and creatively, with respect to interior design, exterior design, and architecture. There is no question. There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living, designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful, incredibly durable, and highly functional kitchen, bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines, vibrant colors, to fit any design style or aesthetic. A history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community. So you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living their website, moyaliving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. You hear conversations about transformative design all the time on Convo by Design. We talk about it all the time. But what does that really mean? Design improves the lives of those who inhabit the space, but it also feeds the creativity and the soul of the creative. Are you looking for a way to give back The Oasis Alliance is a 501c3 collective of creatives based in and around the Washington, D.C. area with a mission to provide healing spaces to those who are rebuilding, rehabilitating, and recovering. Have you wondered how to apply your design skills to uplift your community? It all starts with a desire and a willingness to share your gifts. Danielle Woodhouse-Johnson of the Oasis Alliance and her team are looking for guest designers, in-kind sponsors, and funding to make better the spaces and therefore the lives of everyday people who find themselves coming out of traumatic situations. Check out theoasisalliance.org for more information. Thanks for helping. Interesting. I, I'm curious though, does that, how do you, how does that sense of discovery open up? Like if you're, if you're sticking to High Point and Atlanta, so you've got this Southeast regional, you know, are you getting, how do you find new, new manufacturers on the West Coast, how do you find you know new new products from the the Northwest? How do you how do you do? And and I ask the question specifically because I get this a lot. You know, it's funny. Like you know, anytime there's this massive disruption, right? So you've got you've got like oh seven oh eight. All mm-hmm. of these new designers came into the business. 
all of these new products, you know, with the pandemic, you've, you've got all of these creators who are stuck at home creating these new products, these new ideas, this new design, this new, t- new yeah. techniques. And so now there's this influx of new ideas, but now you got to go travel to go, to go find it and, and market, you know, Atlanta, that's fantastic. They, they bring in a lot high point. Clearly you're, you're getting a ton, but have you started, how do you look outside that? And do you look internationally as well now? Yeah. So, um, I feel like if you went through my file, you know, who I follow on Instagram 10 years ago versus now, I mean, that's a huge tool for discovering new vendors and more so like the smaller, you know, makers and artists. I find so much through Instagram. It's insane. It's just, you know, it it used to be, it used to be like the scrolling just mindlessly, um, you know, of my friends and whatnot. And I really, I don't follow really any of my friends on Instagram anymore. I'm just going to talk to you on the phone, but I'm going to follow, you know, if I see, um, Jake Arnold or, you know, post a beautiful picture and he is shares a small artist, I'm going to be curious to who that artist is. Uh, And that's, that's really, especially artwork. I mean, I'm looking in the corner of my office right now and I have like a pile of art that I've hoarded uh, for clients. That's just, she's, she's just a small, you know, work from home um, mom that, that has these beautiful paintings that she's doing and they're unique. And then I'm going to put them in vintage frames and I'm going to make them our own. So, you know, I really am when it's, when I'm thinking of like the upholstery and the case goods, it is more of those big names that you can easily find at high point or Atlanta. But when I'm going to artwork, um, or even like sculptures or little decor pieces, I am like an Instagram detective. If I see something, I will Google image search it and find it. You know, I'm just like, I, I, it's a great tool. It's Instagram. It can be bad in so many ways, but um, for our business, it, it can really give small businesses and new artists an opportunity to shine. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's just, it's hard to get noticed, you know, if you're a, if you're a small business and it's funny because from that, one of the things I love to do is to just sort of, for me, the process of exploration and talking to a creative about the space that they created is just, it's so much fun for me. And so what I love to do is go through, like I'm going through your website as we talk and as you're talking about some of the ideas that you have, I'm looking at some of your projects and you can see it. And it's just, and by the way, I I say this all the time for those listening to the show, please go to the show notes. You'll find the link to Stevie interiors and you can walk through this process with us because I think that's always really fun to do. Um, Looking at your projects, looking at colonnade, colonnade. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's the thing. We had talked a little bit at the very top of this conversation about trends mm-hmm. and trying to stay away from trends. And I've always felt like, and I've said this so often, trends are not a problem. It's when things become trendy that it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Because when it becomes trendy, you know that the, the death clock has started on that particular idea. It's just a, It's only a matter of time. Right around this time of year, so we're, we're chatting in January, and December is when this really starts. All of the magazines, the, the shelter pubs, all of the influencers start putting out their lists of the top 10 things that you have to have. Um, I like to call it the top 10 things list of things that are going to be obsolete by the end of the year, usually. Yes, but there's also like the list of things that that are are gone, and you're not going to want to you're not going to want to be a part of this. Right. The one that always makes both lists, which is really surprising to me, is the white kitchen. Yeah, not funny. And yeah. when I'm looking at Colonnade, I'm looking at a white kitchen that I find absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It's you can tell it's functional. Mm-hmm. But it's also a one-off. You're not going to see, because of all the vintage, because of all the the detail, you're not going to find this project anywhere else. So for 
as you put this project together, walk me through how you organize it and how you design it and just how you put it together. Cause I think it's amazing. Yeah. So, and first, uh, Colonnade, the lead designer on that project, uh, is Alicia Porto. And the really interesting thing about, um, Alicia is she, she had her own design business under her own name and she was doing really well. And, uh, when I opened our studio two and a half, two years ago, I lost track of time. Um, she kept knocking on the door and was very clear that she wanted to work with us and be on team Stevie. And I, I did not have a job for her to be completely honest that I just didn't have it in the budget. And I loved how aggressive she was. And she was like, no, this is going to be a good fit for me. And so I hired her and we made it work out. Um, and she's now our director of operations and obviously does design as well. And so I just, I love that. I love that about her because she was just like, no, we're going to work together and I'll just keep knocking on your door until we do. Um, That's kind of stalking a little bit. That's borderline stalking. I love it. Yeah. So she, yeah, I'm I'm down for a good stocking situation if it ends well. Um, So she, this home, I mean, she's done a fabulous job with it because it was so dated. I'll have to send you the before pictures. Um, And so, like you said, it is this white kitchen, but with this moody island and the warmth in the um, counter stools and the vintage art pieces and the found pottery pieces um, and the warm, you know, pools and um, pot filler that really make it stand out. And, um, you know, the second that this project went live, I texted her and I was like, well, you got the, you know, the most likes on Instagram for your kitchen. Uh, you know, it was just, we knew immediately that everybody really gravitated towards it. Um, and so the thought process there is, you know, she's the family. It's just, we want it to feel lived in and comfortable and warm and not something you know, that's a classic look. So I was actually thinking about this uh, yesterday. It's like when I think about um, all of my favorite like fashion icons, they're never trendy. Like that that word that you use, they're never trendy. It's always just classic, classic styles. Um, and that's really what I want our spaces to feel like. And I, I feel like this project in particular really nailed that. Um, I love, you know, the we do a lot of gallery walls mixing new prints, you know, that are, don't cost much at all with vintage art that we find at antique stores. Um, And, you know, I've, I've made a lot of, I won't say enemies, but I've, I've annoyed some people sometimes on Instagram when I'm, you know, I say, stop buying art from XYZ big box retailer, like go to your local antique store find a print for $7 and then find a vintage frame at the booth next to it for 10. And you've got something that your neighbors are going to ask about. And this um, looking at the little dining nook, uh, Eden nook of this particular project that we're talking about, that's a really good example of how that translated. Yeah. It's interesting. And then, you know, transferring from that over to sweet apple, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, there are many through lines. I'm sorry. uh, Palisades. Yeah. Palisades. There are many through lines in the in the work that you do, and it's interesting in this living space. I guess it's maybe an office off the off the stairs. Yeah. You have that that back wall. Yeah. Um, it's a wooden wall. Mm-hmm. And did you lay that out yourself, the herringbone? We did. Is that fun? Do you like doing that? <laughs> like a little puzzle. Um, yeah. Well, so I- what's really interesting about that particular room. That's supposed to be that's a dining room. Um, and so this gentleman, he works from home post COVID worked from home and had no use for this dining room. He has an Eden, a huge Eden kitchen table area, but he didn't have a home office. And so, um, it's funny to speak about him actually, because we just heard from him last week, he sold this home and he wanted to reach out and let us know how the updates that we made were just so helpful in the sale of his home. And then also talk to us about this next home. But when we were working on that room in particular, the challenge was, okay, we need this to be an office. We need this to be a home office, but we need it to be able to easily 
go back to a dining room because we knew this wasn't going to be his forever home. Um, and so we added those cabinets on the back wall, which, you know, when he uses it as an office, there's a printer and all of his home office things, but then everything else is laid out where a dining room table will go very nicely back into that room. And then those cabinets become where you, you know, a custom piece versus a dining room buffet. So um, it was really fun. And this particular client, we had to push him out of his comfort zone a little bit um, with the warmth of that wood on the back wall. Cause he likes all white. Um, but he was so fun. I mean, the kindest, kindest, person to work with because this was one of those projects that really probably felt uh the worst delays post covid uh and the longest lead times and so that one was a really that was a fun one cuz he was so nice about it <laughs> <laughs> right it well it's funny <laughs> it's funny because i i picked out that that wall in, on purpose you know my in 2010 i worked on my first ever design house and it was for uh, California Home and Design Magazine. And I was the project manager and the brand manager at the same time. And I was working with the designer. I think he's from Atlanta too, Brian Patrick Flynn. Oh, he's the best. I've never met him in person. And I want to be his friend in real life because he is the kindest, most encouraging person. Like we have not never met on in real life. And I feel like he's my friend just through Instagram messaging. He just seems so cool. He is so cool. And it was so fun to work with him. He did in this, in this, in this ensuite that he was working on, he did the most amazing thing. It was a, it was a, a Hollywood penthouse and he took Douglas fur and he spent, he and his, 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 um, his contractor, they spent, I, I don't know, a couple of weeks just cutting 12 inch sections of Douglas fur. And he turned the floor into a custom herringbone pattern. And then he painted it this ultra glossy, super luxe, just delicious black. And it was, this floor was amazing, but it was a, it was a handcrafted custom floor. It was just exquisite. It was amazing. And when I look at walls like this, like yours, I see elements of that. And I just think, you know, it's one of those things that it's a designer's eye and there is definitely a, a a skill and a craft. That's not, you know, that's not a do-it-yourselfers yeah. weekend job. That's not because there's there's too much detail to it, but it makes such a huge difference. It's something that it's not easy, but it's simple. Yeah. Something that simple turns a space. It just transforms it into something completely different. Yeah. And what, what year was that? I need to go back and look at that project. I want to see that floor you're talking about. Yeah. It's called, um, well, here's the funny thing. It's called small space, big style. Okay. And it was for California home and design magazine. And that was the reason why I started convo by design. Oh, cool. Because it was one of my greatest successes and one of my greatest failures. Oh yeah. At the time, um, so what, 2010, and here I am with all of these amazing designers, Molly Lukemeyer, um, Aaron V, Brian Patrick Flynn, um, Azadeh Shladowski, uh, Christopher Kennedy in this one space. And I have no content from that. There's two videos. There's two videos that are on YouTube and I'll link them in the show notes. Um, that that showcase what this is. And it was Christian May and and I forget who the other one was, but there was nothing. The only other thing was old copies of the magazine, which you can't get anymore. So it was beautiful. <laughs> it was like a 12 page spread, but you can't <laughs> find it anymore. There's no place to see it except unless you come over and I'll show you the copies of my magazines. <laughs> but it was, that's the thing it was, but I will, I'll link the video that okay. that was there. So you can, you can at least see that it did actually exist. But isn't it funny? It's that's that was the transformational moment, um, just a catastrophic failure. Like, I wish I could have shown so much. There was this one story. You'll totally appreciate this. Um, I was talking to Aaron V last year at Legends, LCDQ's Legends, and I told her this story. She didn't even know this. Working on the Design House project, 
it was her room, her ensuite, and it was a couple of days before we opened. And this was a public show house. And so we had people buying tickets and taking tours. Her bathroom was amazing and, and it was just freshly painted. Well, the day it was painted, the um, or the day after it was painted, the contractors were there working on the house and it was like an August summer day in Hollywood. And it was super hot. And the contractors opened the doors because they were painting and, and doing some stuff and turned the AC all the way up to try to keep it cool in there. So then when they were done, after the AC being on all day long, everyone shuts it down, closes the doors and leaves. Well, the condenser had frozen and now it was all going to melt and, and go down the drain, but the drain was clogged. So all of this water spilled over the, 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 the fill pan. It's spilled over the pan and it went down the wall and all of this water, basically it impregnated the wall. So I walked in the next day and there was a huge water balloon. Oh my gosh. It's like making me sweat. Between the, between the wall and the paint. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I'm freaking out. I'm completely panicking. I have no idea what to do. And um, so I called my friends at Warner Brothers because they were helping us with the custom fabrication of, of furniture and they were painting walls. It was amazing. And I was like, I called their paint department. I was like, I am freaking out. What do I do? They're like, <laughs> oh, this is totally cool. Here's what you do. They basically taught me how to do emergency surgery on a like water you- impregnated wall. Oh, oh, yeah. It was basically you poke it like a thousand times with a pin, right? So you don't get any big holes. You just get, you, you, it's weeping. So you, you poke it like a thousand times and then you just wait for all the water to drain out. And then you cut away the, you know, here's where you poke it. Cause that's where the flap is going to be. And then you cut away the paint when it's dried and then you touch it up. And we did. And nobody ever knew. It was the craziest thing. Oh, that's so stressful. It was so stressful. But that's the kind of thing that would have made for a remarkable video. Yeah. I hope you know how like you never hear of something and then you hear about it and then you keep like then it happens to you like right after. And you're like, so weird. I just learned. And I'm just like really hoping this isn't just some sort of like look into my future right now. And I'm going to be Listen, like, I'm it, that conversation. I know how to do this. <laughs> but if it happens, call me, I'll walk you through it. It's okay. super simple. Do you oh. have, um, do you have any, any design disaster stories? Oh gosh. I mean, I'm sure I do. Not everyone does. Some are like, Oh my gosh, let me tell you about this one. And some, n- not everyone does. I'm just curious. I, I feel like I don't have any, <laughs> on all the wood that I can find. Not yet. Not yet. Nothing that's been a disaster. Yeah. It's funny because for me, I feel bad about, you know, it's like the amount of leads that came in for, um, new business over the holidays. At first I was like, Oh, wow. Where are all, all these leads? Where are these coming from? And then I was reading the stories and Atlanta got really like very, very cold over Christmas, uh, that week of Christmas. And so pipes were bursting left and right. And I'm like, oh no, we're going to have a busy first quarter. And it's all because everybody else is having a bad December and January and their homes have flooded. And it happened to one of our past clients. Um, so no, I, I can't think of a design disaster, but I, I'm just thinking about all of those. And I'm like, oh, the cleanup. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to me though. I think that, um, the one thing I wish we did more in, in design is I wish we would talk a little bit more about our disasters. Do you know what I mean? I was on, um, I was surfing the, the web this morning and there's this story that keeps coming up of like the top 10 worst construction disasters. And it obviously changes. It's one of those listicles. I mean, still they're so popular, but there's one like where, where these people put a, a hot tub on top of a deck that was, you know, a uh, clearly not rated for a hot tub, you know, there's the, the door with a notch cut out for, for ducting. There's just, you know, I I mean, some of like a window installed where the exterior plaster casing was, you know, just stupid things, but obviously a designer didn't work on that. 
Right. But like, like for me, I have a ton of recording and editing disasters. I had one recently where it's like, wow, I should have taken, I should have edited that out of the, of the episode. I wonder why I didn't hear that. Yeah, and so along the same lines of what you're saying, I, you know, the, the joke on our team is, oh, I can't wait until we stop learning things the hard way. You know, and it's not necessarily when it in the design, it's more the project management or we should have had that in our contract or, you know, I'm like, when am I going to stop being surprised of a situation coming to light? Um, and I think for me, you know, that's kind of my biggest thing. I wish, um, you know, I wish there was a little bit more community of designers, even in Atlanta, just to get together and, and swap stories and share best practices. Because I do think that there's plenty of work to go around. And we all have very different, you know, a lot of us have different styles. But it's just like the things that I have learned in the last two and a half years, I'm like, man, would be, you know, I could be a good person and really sh- tell that to somebody and be like, put that in your contract or, you know, um, yeah. So Necessarily from a you know design standpoint, but the business side of design. It's interesting. Um, I've kind of gotten away, you know, for a couple of years there, I was talking really about the in-depth side of the design business. And I've gotten away from that because I've come to the conclusion that, you know, designers are creatives. Creatives are typically and generally speaking, not great business people. It's just, it's, it's one of those things. And I think that, you know, going back to the very beginning of this conversation where you talk about going to design school, I wish that design schools offered more practical business advice, like practical business advice. Like I feel like a design school should be half design and half MBA. I 100% agree. Whenever I have somebody that wants to join my team or how did you become a designer? I always say, I'm like, it is 90% project management and business and 10% design. And if you, if you do, if you are a creator, then you better have a right-hand person who is the person that's going to run the business and do all the project management because exactly what you just said. I mean, I think that I have found success without a design education and I credit that to a journalism background, writing, communicating, being able to, you know, speak to clients and then working in corporate in a very corporate environment and learning about business. Um, so do I wish that my job was more of the fun design? Sure. But it, it takes both sides of it. So how far into design school are you? Oh, like three classes. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how long is it? Uh, it's so it's go at your own pace. So I think I'm pacing to be done in like a year, year and a half. Um, but it, you can take up to two years, I think. So and, and it's just, take- like, it's not a full, it's not a full degree. It's a certification. Um, so it's really, it's truly, again, just for my personal professional growth and confidence. And the hand ran, I mean, it's been, it's been cool. It's, I, I really do. It, it's been fun. And you're in a class with, you know, I think some people are like, well, why is she in this class? Cause she already has a design business, you know, and then there are a lot of young, you know, young, uh, early twenties, uh, or even, you know, people in undergrad pursuing something else and doing this on the side. So it's, it's an interesting mix of people. I love that. So here's what I'd like to do, Megan, yeah. can I, can I follow up with you? Can we, can you take me through the process of going through design school with a, with fresh eyes? Um, because I, I think like you, that there are a lot of decorators and, you know, in, in those who work in interiors who maybe didn't, didn't go to design school. I talk to them all the time and s- some are like incredibly successful. I've spoken to, you know, an AD 100 um, decorator who will be yeah. the first to tell me, he, I'm not a designer, I'm a decorator. And he loves that. That's his thing. Um, yeah. But I'd love to follow through, just follow along with you and have maybe do a check-in every now and then to see how you're, how you're enjoying that it. That would be great. I would love cool. that. And I think a lot, of, a lot of the people that fall into you know, my category, it's kind of like, know your strengths and hire, make hiring decisions or work with general contractors or you know, work with people that have the skills that you don't. Um, so yeah, it is funny though, when you think about some of the biggest names in design right now, they don't, 
they don't have design degrees. And I'm sure all the interior designers with the design degrees are probably like, aren't it? You know, because I would be, I wish I had one. I wish I knew 20 something year old Megan. Why didn't you know? Yeah. But you learned a lot through the process as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Megan, thank you so much. This was so, this was so much fun. This just flew by. I really appreciate the time. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Design Hardware's newly remodeled showroom is where you will find a gallery-style space with a thoughtful display of products, purposefully positioned to allow unbridled exploration and discovery. High-end faucets, luxury tile, natural stone, wood floors, and bespoke hardware selections are presented in a holistic manner, strategically arranged to stimulate creativity and transition your vision from the conceptual stage to a fully realized space. Conveniently located, free parking available, stop by to find your inspiration, Collect samples, get expert advice, and tackle everything on your shopping list all in one place. Visit them online at designhardware.com or in the real world, 6053 West 3rd Street in Los Angeles. The Institute of Classical Architecture and Art Southern California Chapter is a forum for professionals in the industry and enthusiasts to come together, share their love, and show their commitment to the timeless principles of beauty, proportion, and observation that are embodied in classicism. Their members include renowned architects, designers, landscape architects, builders, students, artists, and creatives from every walk of life. It's a wonderful organization designed to celebrate the unique regional identity of Southern California and help develop the careers of the like-minded. If you're interested in joining or would like to learn more about sponsorship and support for the ICAA Southern California chapter, please email me, convobydesign at outlook.com. Megan, thank you for the time. And thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to the show. If not already doing so, please make sure you are subscribing to the show so you get all the new episodes the moment they're published. And you can also find Convo Convo by Design everywhere you find your favorite podcasts with over 450 plus episodes uh, going back, gosh, 10 years. Um, Check out some of the past episodes too. I think you might like that. Thank you to my wonderful partners and sponsors, Thermosol, Moya Living, and Design Hardware. Without you, I would not be able to do this. And for that, I thank you. Thanks again for listening. Be well. And until next week, take today first.